Okay. Good morning, everyone. We're doing day number 16 in our series on Elul, and with this, we're concluding our classes on Rosh Hashanah. Today's topic is coronating Hashem through the sounding of the shofar and the, uh, and the prayers on Rosh Hashanah. So we're going to look into the texts, into the text, actually. And we are going to see over here how he explains after the whole explanation about, about understanding that the concealment is not a true concealment. He goes into explaining how do we draw down what? Malchus. Right, drawing down the Malchus. What did I say? Draw down the what? Yeah. So we're drawing down the Malchus back into the world. How do we do that? So he says, you have it over here, this is where we need the Tshuva. To evoke the level of the internal part of the man's heart. That I'm sorry. Valze on this trichem tshuva, we need repentance. to to evoke the level of the internal of the heart. because in man yes In man, there's also internal and external. We need to do tshuva from the depth of our heart. And that's why we say in the prayers, Psalm 27, that we say every day in Elul. To you, my heart says, search for my face. What does it mean, search for my face? Search for my internal. Through the tshuva, the chines primis and a level of the internal of the heart, through this, my your face, Hashem, I search. In other words, this is what we discussed already in the beginning of our class, but over here we're concluding, and the conclusion is always connected to the beginning. Rosh Hashanah, we are trying to get the Malchus to come back down. And the Malchus goes back to the very essence of Hashem. In the example that we gave then, we gave then an example of the teacher, that a teacher could leave the classroom because of an emotional reason. The teacher could leave the classroom for an intellectual reason. The, the, and the teacher could leave the classroom because they don't even know if they want to be a teacher. So... If the reason why they left the classroom for an emotional reason. So it's enough to talk to the teacher emotionally. If the teacher left the, cl left the classroom for intellectual reasons, so we need to talk to the teacher or something intellectual. But if there's an essential removal, meaning to say, I don't even know if I want to be a teacher, and you want to really get me, so to say, to change, you really want to get me to to do something out of my comfort zone. You're really convincing me to become something that I'm not even sure that I want to do. With that, you need to connect to my essence. You sort of say, need to create a new avenue of me 
expressing my essence. In order for you to access my, your, my essence, you need to reveal your essence. And then, like a mirror, like a reflection, essence reflects essence. Yeah, that's, that's a major, major important point. And that's, that's the reason why we say, from the depths I call out to you, Hashem. That's the idea of the sounding of the shofar. The sounding of the shofar is not even words. We're going to use a lot of words in davening, but it's the only time of the year that we say, God, there's no words to express our interest in the connection. Because, because words are also limiting. Words are also a certain type of expression. If we want to express our essence, it's beyond words. It's not, I'm not going to try to convince you. I'm not going to try to give you any intellectual reasoning and so on and so forth. I want to reveal my essence. I want to cry out to you beyond words. That's why it's just a sound. I, I want you. Siddhis explains in other places that there's, there's the silence between the sounds that's even higher than the sound itself. Because the sound, to a certain extent, it's not, doesn't have letters, doesn't have, doesn't have the details, doesn't have description, but still there's a sound over there. So that's the tekiah, but then there's the teruah, oh, oh, oh. So there's the silence between. That silence between is even more essential. And from there, we're calling out to God. Let's see a tiny bit more words that he uses over there. Let's see over here what he says. He starts talking about the idea of the psukim that we say. So in other places, Chassidus has explained that why do we bring psukim? Why, why do we bring a proof from the Torah? We're going to have three sets of verses. We're going to have one set 10 verses of, uh, uh, from, uh, uh, about God being king, three from the Torah, three from the, from the writings, and three from the prophets, and then the 10th is going to be again from the Torah. Then the same thing about the power of shofar, and the same thing, verses of God remembering us, and God remembering throughout history, God remembering Noah in the in the in the in the ark and so on and so forth god remembering the world why do we why do we say that so in other places of citizens explained that what we do is we're basically convincing god by using his own words might sound a tiny bit childish but the idea though is it's like uh, telling my father you i want to go to camp and then i tell my father you daddy you told me how amazing camp is you, daddy, told me that camp is very educational. So we're using verses in the Torah to convince God that God is a king and that God remembers the world and the power of the shofar to evoke that kingdom. So let's see a tiny bit what he says over here. He says, in order, in order to draw down that level of internal that should shine in the level of Malchus, that is, through Imru Malchios, say in front of me Malchios. Pirush meaning Imru Huloshin Shevach. 
The word imru in Hebrew also has an etymological source, a root, the idea of praise. Through praising the concept of kingdom, that is through accepting the yoke of Hashem and the nullification of the created beings, through this nimshach is drawn bechinas haratzoin the level of the will the oineg and the pleasure bemelucha in the kingdom. Let's try to explain this. How do you convince someone to be a king? How do you convince someone? So, so something very interesting. Obviously, you can't convince a wall to become a king, right? You have to, you, the, the person needs to have a concept of kingdom within themselves. And that's actually the meaning of the prayer that we say every day in Davening, Adon Olam, Asher Malach, the master of the world, that he has um, reigned. Terem Kol before anything has been created. So meaning to say God is essentially a king. You can't be a king if you don't have uh, if you don't have subjects, right? So on whom are you a king? But the idea is that the reason why we could evoke in God the kingdom because He has an essential kingdom. God is a king in essence. Now, when you praise a person, you bring out in him something that he has in a concealed way. For example, if you tell a person that he's generous. You talk about his generosity, yeah. You want to tell a kid, um, you should uh, please do this. So you tell him, oh, right. You have a good heart. Maybe you should share. Why do we do that? Because we're trying to bring into revelation a hidden part of the person that that part not necessarily the person is in touch with that part. So that is the same idea when we are praising kingdom, but not only praising kingdom, we're also coronating the king. In other words, we're saying, let's try to, let's try to explain this a tiny bit deeper. When we're saying, when, when we're saying coronating a king, there's a, there's a bit of oxymoron over there. On one hand, a person that wants to be a king, that means that he's not really a king. Let me try to explain. Because a real king means not just some dictator. A real king means a person that is really, really lofty and really, really beyond. If a person wants to be a king, if he desires to be a king, that, that is a problem. You're not really a king. Let's understand it even deeper psychologically. Psychologically, if you have a need to be a king, so you're dependent on the subjects. You're not really a king. There's always this issue. For example, our Rebbe took a year to convince him to become Rebbe. Obviously, once he became Rebbe, he took leadership all the way and got everyone to listen to him and sent out emissaries all over the whole world. But imagine a teacher, or for that case, 
any mashpia, anyone that gives, if he has a need to give, he's not a giver, he's a receiver. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah? A teacher that chases the students loses the whole respect, and you can't really learn from him anymore. So always, in a situation of a mashpia and a makabal, you need what we call the process of coronation. What is coronation? Coronation means that the recipient says, I want to receive from you. And the guy says, I don't, I don't have a need to teach. I don't have a need to give. I don't, need, I don't have a need to be a king. But by, by the student, by the recipient, by the subject, coronating the king, it was saying, and then what are they saying? I am here in order to receive from you. Then what it does, it evokes in the king, it evokes in the recip in the in the imparter, it gives him a certain pleasure. So the words in English, I don't know how precise I am, how how accurate I am in the semantics, but I think there's a very big difference between I want and I need. A person that has a need, it's very scary, right? How does Rabbi Menes Friedman always say, he has a class for girls in dating. So he says, if a guy says, I can't live without you, run for your life. He's going to be some clingy, needy guy. If he says, I have a life without you, but I don't want to live my life without you. That is a real giver. So when we prostrate in front of the king and we say, Rebbe, become our Rebbe. I'm appointing you. Teacher, be my teacher. King, we are accepting your kingdom on us. We want you to be a king. That could evoke in him the desire, maybe desire is too strong a word, the will to be a king. Will is very different than a need. Because God has no need to be a king. God wants us to convince him to be a king. And that is, that's really, that's, that's really the secret of Hashanah. That's the secret of coronation. But we all have to do it. We all have to do it from a place that we really want God to be our king. There's a very, very big difference between having a dictator and having a king. A dictator is usually a person that wants to be a king. A dictator is usually a person that comes forceful. A king is not someone that has that need. A king is not someone that comes down forceful on his subjects. A king is a person that has the qualities of being a king and he's coronated by the nation. But for that, we really need to be there. We need to, the words that we say in davening every Shabbos, umalchutso beratzon kiblu alehem accepting God's kingdom from a place of love, from a place of excitement, from a place of, I want you as a king on my own volition. I want you as a king because I want a relationship with you. That is the idea. That's the idea of Rosh Hashanah. And it has to be also individual. How does, um, there's a few stories that Chassidim used to say in, in connection to this. I once heard a story 
that there was some place there was a dictator that once a year he made everyone come to the front uh, to, to in front of his palace he used to come out of the on the porch and everybody had to chant, uh, chant over there long live the king long live the king long live the king and then he used to drop a feather and anyone that the feather would fall on their heads would be executed to show his kingdom. The guy was a madman. So, so the joke goes that all the people would stand over there and go, long live the king, long live the king, right? Basically, what is, it, what is the joke? The joke is long live the king as long as it doesn't, as long as it doesn't touch me. But entering a commitment, entering a relationship, is when you say, yes, I'm willing to pay a price. There's another very nice marshal that Chassidim used to say about receiving kingdom, is that in the beginning of the, of the Bolshevik revolution, where you had orators uh, running around uh, Russia, convincing all the people how amazing it's going to be under the new regime, under Tsarist regime, So uh, you had uh, you had speakers going around from time to time, from town to town, and especially talk to the peasants, because the peasants were the ones that really felt oppressed by the by the feudal landlords, by the rich people. So the story goes that there was once a speaker that came and said, "What if you have ten factories and a hundred cattle? Who do you give it away for?" Everybody said, "Mother Russia." Uh, what if you have stacks of gold and money and silver and houses? What are you going to do with that? And everybody says, give it away to Mother Russia. And like this, it goes one thing to another thing. And that orator, that speaker wasn't so smart. And, and he said, what if you have one goat and a small hut and a dog? What do you do? And everybody went silent. What's the, what's, the, what's the story? What's the joke of the story? The story is that it's so easy. It's so easy to give away something you don't have. It's so easy like to commit. Oh, I'm going to commit. We're going to have romance. We're going to have, um, we're going to fly. I don't know where. But when it comes like to the small things, to your things, your comfort zone, where, where we have to set ourselves aside. That's, that's, um, that, that's, that's really where the litmus test is. Do I want to accept God as a king? Or uh, I want him to be a king of the whole world, but let him, uh, let, I, would love to, I, would like, I would love to have my own autonomy. I, I would love to have my own space where he doesn't bother me too much. That, that's so a very... we have to love him unconditionally. What? We have to love him unconditionally. Right, right. But the idea of Rosh Hashanah, thank you for saying this, because I want to point out that the idea of Rosh Hashanah is not so much love. It's the commitment. That's why, that's why Rosh Hashanah is all about Kabbalah's Oil Malcha Shemayim. Kabbalah's Oil Malcha Shemayim means that, that I, want to, I want the commitment. The love... The love was the dating process. We're going to have, we're still going to have a lot of love when we're going to discuss the idea of sukkahs. But Rosh Hashanah is not about love. 
it's the love for the commitment. Now, I know that sometimes it looks like a contradiction, but it's not really a contradiction. You could do something out of love because you really enjoy doing that thing. You could do something because you have no choice and you hate doing that thing. But sometimes you could do something that you don't really love doing that thing, but you love the person that you're doing the thing for. That means to enjoy the commitment. I want to enter the commitment because, and I'm committed to do it even if I don't like it. The definition of commitment is, even if I don't like it, I'll still continue doing it. That's the idea of commitment. But it comes from a place that I really want to have a relationship with him. And that's the idea of That's why you'll realize something very interesting. Rosh Hashanah, we don't learn that much. We don't do very sophisticated things. Rosh Hashanah, we say a lot of Tehillim. What is the idea of Tehillim? Tehillim is very simple. Because commitment is not about sophistication. Commitment means I want to be in a commitment with you. That's it. That's it. It's not sophisticated. It's not love. Love is sophisticated. Love is I want to get to know you. Love is I want to feel you. Love, I want to hang out with you. I want to learn your Torah. I want to... Rosh Hashanah is one thing. Will you marry me? Will you take me as your slave? Will you take me as your spouse? And I'm willing to enter the commitment. I want, I'm willing to... Yeah, yeah. I, I, that, that's all about commitment. I want to, sh- I want to finish with a the story. There was a chassid. His name was Reb Nissen Nemenov. Reb Nissen was known his whole life. His main thing was commitment. In other words, there were chassidim that were more colorful. There were chassidim that were more into love, into passion, into, into excitement. He was a person his whole life. He was like a soldier. The Friedrich Rebbe called him my sweet soldier. Soldier expressing the idea that he just took orders. No understanding. A soldier doesn't want to understand. A soldier that wants to understand is usually a problem. A soldier just takes orders and does them. The general wants to understand. The, the, the commander sometimes he said, a soldier doesn't. So he traveled for a few days to be by the Rebbe on Rosh Hashanah. That's also the reason why Chassidim go Rosh Hashanah to the Rebbe. It's the head of the year. They go to the head of the people. And he traveled all the way to, uh, to Petersburg, where the Friedrich Rebbe lived. And he didn't have a lot of money, so he had a ticket and some 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 car over there, far from being first class. He basically wasn't able to sit down even. He stood for two, three days. And then he makes it to Petersburg, Erev Yomtev. And the custom in Chabad is that the second day, not the second day, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, towards the night before the second day, the Rebbe says a mimer, a Hasidic discourse. So even though the custom is not to go to sleep on Rosh Hashanah, he went to sleep on Rosh Hashanah because he said, I want to, I, I want to hear the mimer. The saying is, you don't want to sleep on Rosh Hashanah because you don't want to have a sleepy year. So Hasidim said sometimes it's better to sleep, to have a sleepy year physically, but to hear the mimer, to be fresh and be able to hear the Hasidus for the new year, that's, 
that's being awake for the whole year spiritually. That's that's a saying that Siddim had. That he didn't have a normal place where to sleep. He found some floor somewhere. The guy collapsed after a few days of traveling. He falls asleep. He wakes up. He realizes that the Rebbe already started the Mimer. And he goes out of the base medrash and starts running. I'm sorry, he goes out from that place where he slept and he runs towards the base medrash. And lo and behold, the Rebbe is already in the middle of saying the Mimer. As he walks in, the Rebbe is talking about the ideas of Rosh Hashanah, that the ideas of Rosh Hashanah is accepting the yoke of heaven. And as he walks in, the Rebbe says, A slave doesn't sleep in. So if you know the person, it's very, it's a very interesting story because basically the Rebbe connected to his soul and his life task was very much being a soldier, being, but still, what is the meaning of getting into a commitment? I think that the closest thing that I could think of nowadays that sounds like getting into a commitment is the idea of, the, the idea of, um, signing up for the army. Everybody knows from the second you sign up for the army, there's no way out. The army is even not constitutional. They have their own prisons. They have their own kitchens. They have their own cars. They have, it's everything. It's, but once you sign up to the army, you are a part of the army. That's the meaning of commitment. Does that mean that you can't eat anymore? You can't get dressed anymore? You can't, you could continue everything, but you're doing it as an army man. You're doing it as someone in a relationship. The second, the truth is that's also when you committed in a marriage. You're going, to, you're going to continue going to work. You're going to continue being a speaker. You're going to continue whatever. You're going to continue to do everything, but you're doing it from a different place. I'm a married man. I'm a married woman. There's a reason why people wear their rings the whole time. Why do you have to show your ring? I'm not, I'm not the same person. I'm in a commitment. And everything I do comes stems from that commitment. And that's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Rosh Hashanah is accepting the commitment and asking Hashem to let us into the commitment to a certain extent. Tomorrow, we're already going to talk about Yom Kippur. So meanwhile, may you all have and may you all feel good, be healthy, wealthy, and a lot, a lot of success in all your endeavors. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi.